Welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. Welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to create a supportive community for new practitioners of Chinese medicine, while I give you information and inspiration to help you succeed and grow in your first couple years in practice. This is Stacey Whitcomb, and I'm your host. 
Before I launch into my next interview, I just wanted to discuss one very simple concept with you guys. Those of you who are new, um, and even those of you who are not new to practicing Chinese medicine and trying to get going and get out there. I remember when I graduated, I was so freaking excited to get on with it. Same thing with graduating from college for the first time. Couldn't wait to get out and get after it and make some money. And the truth is, Chinese medicine, most of you are going to have to be entrepreneurs. And you don't know how to do that. (laughs) I mean, seriously, the education that we get in school is so short and ridiculous. And we're not, I mean, really tired and not really paying attention like we should be. So I'm going to tell you the very first concept that you need to understand about how to get patients, because that's the number one question. What could I do for you right now, you new practitioners, if I could wave a wand and make it all good for you? Get patients, right? Because that's what you want. You want to make money. You want to treat patients. The thing is, this is a long game, folks. It is a long game. Getting patients is such a small portion of what it is that you have to do. You're not getting patients. You're falling in love with the process of getting patients, which includes building a website, talking to people, networking, blogging. If you want to do social media, do social media. Fall in love with the tech because that's where it's going. Um, Those are the things. And you know what? The biggest concept, the absolute biggest concept is patience. This is a long game. Stop looking at your numbers. Seriously, stop it. I have done that myself, counted patients. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did this. You know what? Nope. How many blog posts have you put up? How good is your website? How many people have you networked with? Those are the marks that you need to hit in the beginning, not how many patients am I seeing. So refocus, folks. Refocus. Make sure those are top and the best. And the patients will come. You just need to stop making it about the desperate need to get patients. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You have to be patient. So now on to our guest. My next guest is one of my favorite instructors in school. He has so much great energy and loves, absolutely loves what he does when he teaches. You can tell. His name is Jeff Jenis. And he was my structural integration, structural, structural diagnosis teacher. And he said something in class one day that just, I heard it. It was so loud. I could not hear it. And he said, if you have one to two of these cases a month, you will carry your practice. That, that amount of money will carry your practice. So what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into it. He was talking about motor vehicle accident cases, and we're going to dive deep into this topic. We're going to learn what exactly constitutes a motor vehicle accident, why it is that you would want these in your practice, how to get people who've been in a motor vehicle accident into your practice without being sleazy. And then we're going to explain to you how to hit all the marks with documentation and how to effectively treat these patients. And you're going to want to stick around to the end because I have a bit of a gift for you guys. So without further ado, here's my latest podcast with Dr. Jeff Jenis.
coming back to the AccuSprout podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Jeff Jenis. He's one of my one of my favorite instructors, actually. And I brought him on today to discuss motor vehicle accident cases and how to handle them. He is going to be so super helpful. So that's who I've got today. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. So grateful to have you here. I know that you've got all the ins and outs on how to do this and why we might want to take any motor vehicle accident that comes across our practice. So perhaps you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, what you do, perhaps how we met or didn't meet because I was just in your class. You probably didn't even know I was there. Oh, I knew you were there. You're a fantastic student. Thank you for those kind words. Well, uh, I've been a chiropractor since 2007, and I've also been an acupuncturist since 2012. So I've had experience treating a lot of motor vehicle accidents, but also treating just a a large number of patients in different demographics and with different modalities. So it was nice to be in Portland and be able to go through two of the academic programs that they offer there, both at University of Western States and then later at, at, at the Oregon College of Oriental Medicine. And to be able to kind of speak both languages both Eastern and kind of Western medical languages, I found to be really helpful. And I've tried to kind of position myself uh, in the middle where people that are furring because they're maybe a chiropractor and they need their patient to have some acupuncture, then I can treat them and and co-treat with them. Or if the person is an acupuncturist and they need a chiropractic evaluation, then I'm happy to do that and make sure that they continue treating them with the acupuncture. So that's kind of where I've positioned myself. I've uh, really enjoyed teaching at OCOM, and I taught, and that's where we met, is uh, I taught structural diagnosis uh, and orthopedic testing for several years. Now I teach in the doctoral program there, and we teach uh, usually a module or so on orthopedic testing and case management um, of orthopedic conditions. So that's kind of what I've been doing lately. So you were already a chiropractor. Why did you choose to go to acupuncture school and become an acupuncturist or Chinese medical school? Sure. Well, you know, I think I I knew probably in my second year of chiropractic school that I was going to pursue oriental medicine and an acupuncture degree. Basically, I, I really enjoy chiropractic. I think that it's very useful. I think that there are some things that you can do with chiropractic that move patient care rapidly along, but I also found it to be a little bit too limiting. And I really wanted to treat the whole person and be able to treat not only uh, mental and emotional conditions, but then also be able to treat with, you know, Chinese herbal medicine. So the way I kind of approach cases is I like to triangulate a a person's care and I kind of come at them, you know, maybe from three different angles. One is structurally and that kind of really speaks to my background in, in uh, chiropractic. And then second is, you know, chemically. And so they're hopefully treating them with herbs. And then third would be energetically. We're mixing in the acupuncture to kind of facilitate the other two. Although in reality, I think I'm, I'm much more focused on the, on the physical and the acupuncture. Herbs mm-hmm. are kind of not the primary focus of my practice. If I was in China, I'd probably be a Twina guy. Mm-hmm. You okay. know, a lot of a lot of physical medicine with some acupuncture and a little bit of herbs thrown in. That's that's kind of how the way I practice. Sure. 
One of the things that you said in class that struck me and and it stood out in my head, and that's the reason that I brought you on the podcast, was that you said in class, if you guys have, I think it was two to three, two to three motor vehicle cases going per month, that that would carry your practice. Is that what you said? Do you remember saying uh, that? I totally remember saying that, but it, that's not quite what I said. It's close, though. What what I've always kind of maintained, especially for new practitioners, and this holds true for both new chiropractic practitioners as well as acupuncture practitioners, is that if you have, and really it's just about one or two motor vehicle accident cases in your practice, active motor vehicle accident cases, for a single practitioner, that's probably enough to basically kind of cover all of your baseline expenses. You know what I mean? Everything that every case you treat above that will probably be mostly cost. Yeah. See, I, that just blew my mind. Blew my mind. And, and so, is, yeah, the reason is, is because motor vehicle insurance carriers are one of the last kind of full price payers that are, that are out there. So, you know, a regular type of health insurance, they've really limited and tried to reduce um, or completely eliminate coverage for alternative medicine. And even workers' comp is difficult. Personal injury cases are almost impossible to, to collect on if, if they're not just so. So it's really kind of puts people in the place of they, they can take you know, significant write-offs and take all insurances, which gives them a larger patient base. Um, or they can just go to a cash practice and not worry about the billing or maybe outsource the billing. But in the case of motor vehicle accidents, you don't have to outsource the billing because the billing is really relatively simple and straightforward. And, you know, you can actually get someone to, to do just motor vehicle accident billing for you and you'll be very successful at it. And so you can be a cash practice and yet still bill the most lucrative insurance companies, which are, you know, motor vehicle uh, insurance companies. Okay. So still also still blowing my mind because I didn't actually realize that you could hire a biller to bill this for you too. Absolutely. Oh, and there's different ones. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no. any company names right now, but we could link them to your, to your website. Sure. But there are billing services out there that will bill for you and they will simply charge you on a per claim basis or a percent basis for what they're, for what the collections are, which I'd rather it be on a per claim basis, but it depends on how good your chart notes are and how effective your biller is. We can go into that as deeply as you like. Yeah, for sure. So how does one get a motor vehicle accident case? How do, how do you attract that? Or do you, do you network into that? Who, who are your, who's your network? Who are your sources? Sure. Well, you know, I, I really think that the best patients across the board and the, really the ones that I want to treat the most are the patients that come to you from word of mouth. Okay. So you have an established patient and they, refer someone else to your practice. Oh, it's the best. Those are the best patients. The reason they're the best patient is because you have instant credibility with them. You help their other friend or family member. And so you're already starting the relationship in exactly the right place. Mm -hmm. So because of that, it makes sense that you should tell 
and I, and I mean, be very overt by it. Don't like drop subtle hints. I mean, be overt with your patients and say, Hey, just so you know, I do treat motor vehicle accidents and I have enjoyed treating you and I'm happy to provide care for your friends and family. And if you know anybody that was in a motor vehicle accident that needs care, let them know that I can provide that care for them. And so just by first putting it out there to your patient base so that if someone they know, which it will happen, and even patients that are in your practice that are established patients will, you know, statistically get in motor vehicle accidents. I'm not wishing any harm on anybody, but it just happens. And so you want to be able to provide that service because the last thing you would want is to have your patient and have to refer them out to someone else to treat their motor vehicle injuries. Okay. So I'm going to jump in here and just add something because, and you probably already know this, but I'm just speaking mostly to like the listeners, but okay, how are you going to do that? You guys, you can put that in your, your monthly email newsletter. You can put a whole page on your blog, in your blog about motor vehicle accidents and how you treat patients who have suffered a motor vehicle accident. That's two ways right there that you can incorporate that into the knowledge base that that shows up online and also shows up to, in front of your patients. As well, of course, is what Jeff is saying, like tell them to their face too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, go ahead. Let them know like, hey, I can, I can help them and, or, and you don't have to be so, I mean, it doesn't, it's not like it has to be a hard sell. That's not what I'm suggesting. No, it's just a suggestion. Well, it's more of just like, Hey, if, if, if some people, they get injured and they don't even realize they're injured, you know what I mean? Like, and that's why, you know, we advise patients, even if they're in a minor accident to wait for at least four or five days to decide if they're injured, see what symptoms come up. In other words, don't sign anything until you know you're not injured, right? Right. And don't take a settlement. Yes. Oftentimes, the, yes. an, an, an aggressive insurance adjuster will say, oh, here, let me just pay you a couple of thousand dollars right now. And yes. you, know, you can still claim your medical care later, but let me just pay you that. And it really limits your rights in for your case. Yes. So again, listeners, you guys, this is such good messaging already. Pay attention because that was a big thing. Like when people are in a motor vehicle accident, the insurance companies want to close it very quickly because they do understand that once you've been in a motor vehicle accident, you could not have pain for two weeks. And so they want to shut it down before it's weighed open and people are seeing doctors and getting treatment. So that does happen. Now, I want to get, I would, I'd like to just like, there's a couple other things that you were saying, how you find these patients. Okay. Yeah. Let's go backwards. Sorry. I just wanted to say too, that another way that I think is really important is that you network with other practitioners that treat these kind of cases, whether they be chiropractors or massage therapists or, or physical therapists, whoever those people are that are in your local area, you should know who they're, because you might need to refer to them. So you want to find a good one that you can refer to and then just let them know, oh, hey, I also do acupuncture for this. And and by the way, it can really help sleep and it can really help, you know, improve healing time and it can lower the anxiety. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you could say to them to kind of help that networking along. Mm-hmm. And a- along with that, there's one kind of specialty category. And, and I don't want to suggest like, because it's not appropriate to like, you know, to directly try to solicit, you know, somebody that's been in an accident. That's just the smacks. Yeah, it just smacks <laughs> of, yeah. of 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 sliminess. Yeah. But one thing that is very helpful is that you can network with 
personal injury and MBA lawyers. And like going out to lunch with some lawyers that do this, and especially if you can explain to them how your charting is, you know, superior, how your evidence-based medicine does this, that, or how your care can also, you know, provide benefit to their patients and help their case. You know what I mean? Like those are the kind of people they want to work with. How does this help an attorney? That's my question. Well, here's what it does is that it helps the attorney. You you answered a couple of questions there. One of them's kind of loaded and and I want to address it for sure. It's like, oh, well, does the amount of care, the cost of the care drive up the cost of the quote case to the insurance company? Well, hypothetically, yes. Um, Just because they base their overall settlements usually based on the amount dollar amount of care required to return the patient to pre-accident status or to to medically stationary status. So, you know, with residual. So, yes, that's true, but that's not how it helps the lawyer. The, the lawyer has no interest in jacking. That would be very unscrupulous on everybody's part. That mm-hmm. would basically border on insurance fraud. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. But what it, how it helps the lawyer is when the lawyer is you know, maybe the PIP is almost expended or they're trying to prepare their case for trial or they're just trying to see what kind of a case they have, what kind of leverage they have to make a um, settlement demand. And so what they need is they need some medical evidence, especially if it's coming from any practitioner that has some teeth behind it, that there is some objective observations that are properly charted and communicated so that he has the medical information in order to document what happened to this person. And you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, do they care about chi and blood? No, they do not. But <laughs> they do care about what you're saying with their active ranges of motion and mm-hmm. how it affects their activities of daily living and how they're either improving or they're not, or how they're having flare ups or not. Or like, and also any of the other associated paperwork that you may or may not fill out in your office, like a low back index, like a neck disability index. These are common standard forms that you can download from the internet and add huge amounts of credibility to your case, especially when you're requesting, you know, to be paid for reavow. They're dependent on us. In a, in a, in not hugely so, but in a fashion where they're, pre- they're trying to present a professional, yes, yeah, professionally. So the more professional that you are with your documentation and your, the way that you chart and test. It's critical. I mean, just think if, if a, if a lawyer has a bunch of handwritten notes from <laughs> a five element acupuncturist, and I'm not trying to say that they're, I do five element. I, I, I love it, but I'm just saying if it's, just a bunch of esoteric uh, information without any concrete observations about their injuries. Mm-hmm. And they don't have anything to go to the insurance company and say, this is how they were hurt. This is how much pain and suffering they had. This is how much care they took. So we have to really package that into something that's neatly typewritten or, you know, you know neatly typed notes that identify the problems in terms that they routinely use, understand, 
and more importantly, have tables and formulas that allow them to come up with their their settlements. When an acupuncturist is charting or documenting for motor vehicle accidents, what are what are some things that we need to be very specific and careful about? What suggestions do you have? Certainly, they should always be typed. It's fine to put any di- any terminology that you need in there to to track their case as a as an oriental medicine practitioner, but you should also use Western terminology if, when you're describing areas, body parts, structures, things that are injured and things that are, are not moving correctly or hurting. So, you know, proper anatomic terminology. I'm kind of a stickler because I teach anatomy and, and physiology in, in the cadaver lab. So, I, you know, you got to be specific about what's injured if you can. be. Also, you know, it, it's really important that especially charting, like just right off the bat, especially if they're an established patient, that you're talking about the injuries sustained in the accident. If there's a previous condition that you were already treating, then yeah, you should make mention of it and you should make mention about how these new injuries are something completely different that you're treating now. If it's a new patient or a brand new case that's coming to you, that's been referred to you, you shouldn't really be hypothesizing about the previous injuries. You know what I mean? Like you should be talking about the current injuries and, you know, you might say, okay, so this is hurting at this point and it was hurting like this right after the accident. You're, you're kind of moving from the accident forward. And it's also important that the patient not comment to the insurance companies or the adjuster about their medical diagnoses or treatment. You know, they shouldn't be commenting because their opinions are biased. They're the ones that got injured and their opinions are not from a medical professional. It's not considered medical legal evidence. Is the patient going to be contacted by the insurance company while, during, while they're being treated? In other words, in what case would they actually be commenting to an insurance company on how they're feeling or what they're being treated for? This happens all the time, and I'm not trying to paint Uh, insurance adjusters is unscrupulous or anything like that. But the insurance adjusters, you know, if you're billing a motor vehicle accident, they have the chart notes that come in with each billing. Mm -hmm. So they know exactly what's happening with the patient. They can read the chart notes. So if they're asking the patient, oh, so how are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, most people, when you're asked that question in a conversational arena, they will say, oh, I'm doing great. Oh, feeling good. You know what I mean? Like they'll just, they'll default to the, to the polite social thing to say rather than when they're talking to their doctor. And so really, you know, an adjuster that's asking that is trying to get the patient to contradict the provider. Should the patient not even be talking to the adjuster? The patient has to, well, first of all, when you start a claim, you must talk to your insurance company in order to start a claim. You must report the accident. You must report to your insurance company what happened during the accident. Sure. And usually that will be a recorded statement and you need to be truthful in those statements. And then you may or may not have another reporting requirement to the DMV. I see. Oftentimes, if there's an accident that goes over a certain amount of damage or if it's a two- party accident, then there's a DMV form that's supposed to be filed. 
But after making the initial report to your insurance company about the accident, the, the patient really should not communicate to them again. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I'm like, why are they even talking to them? Like they shouldn't talk to them until it's closing or it has right. closed. Right. When it's closed. You yeah. I mean? Because the medical opinions come from the providers. And like I said, any attempt to, it's, I think it's just usually an attempt to limit care or like to say, oh, you're fine now. Okay, great. Well then let's get this one closed out. Even if they have the chart notes in front of them saying, oh, this, the practitioner says, oh, this person needs, you know, 12 more weeks of care or six more weeks of care or, you know, you know, another couple of visits to, to finish out this flare up or something like this. And they just get the impression from the patient, oh, I'm feeling great. Then they can just discount the medical evidence in front of them because, well, the, the patient, patient told states he's feeling great. Yeah. And they will definitely write that on their yeah, own. They will. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you don't want to contradict the people that are providing the evidence, your, your provider. So it's just best to just say if they ask or if they, if they ever do bring it up, you just say, you know, please just um, ask my providers. I don't know what my current condition is or, you know, cause they also often want to know well, how long, how much longer do you think you're going to, how much more treatment do you need? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't tell them that Mm-mm. they're not, they're not supposed to tell them that. So they Mm-mm. should just say, well, please ask my provider. And since they already have the notes, you know, they rarely ask the providers that. Is this something that we can advise when we take the case? Like this is the times when you talk to your, or is this not, is this a gray? What is this? (laughs) I'm not sure what to do. I don't know. It's particularly gray. I I would say that as a practitioner, you don't give legal advice. Exactly. Disclaimer. You provide treatment and medical evidence. But what you can say, I think is, you know, I'm going to be communicating that's you know, there, there'll be a form that the patient has to sign that just says that you're allowed to communicate with the insurance company. Right. They're going to give you the insurance adjuster's name and phone number and mm-hmm. claim number. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be communicating with the adjuster because he's paying you. Oh yeah. You communicate with him a lot, right? Right. I mean, you should. And because if you're communicating with him, you're probably going to do better as a beneficiary of the payments only because He's going to understand, okay, this person switched on. This person is providing appropriate care. They're not trying to overbill. They're not trying to do these things. And so communication goes a long way. But the thing is, though, that I think it's totally reasonable to tell the patient, after you've made your initial claim, I'm the conduit of medical information to your, to your adjuster. Like, yes, you talk to him or whoever they designate about your car, the repairs to your car. But if it's about the repairs to you, it goes through me because I don't, I only want my opinion to be the one that they hear because mine is the one that has the training behind it. Yes. Thank you. I was looking for the wording and that's what I was wondering yeah. how to say it. Okay. Yeah. So the, the one other thing that I would say about some charting things, we're mm-hmm. going back to documenting and charting a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it's important to be precise with your language, you know, not to say things like, Oh, it's about the same as it was, or just like it was before the accident. You know what I mean? Like you don't just drop phrases like that unless you really mean them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you should say what you mean and don't just put in uh, casual comments that 
might uh, not be accurate to what the patient is experiencing. And so the other thing about charting that is important to build motor vehicle accidents specifically is that you really have to, like, you really do have to do an active range of motion with every visit. Okay. If you're doing an active range of motion with every visit, at least, and, and that, and notating any, and pain associated with that, that's kind of like the bare minimum in terms of observational and objective assessment that you definitely need to have a continuity of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. An active range of motion should definitely be part of your, of every interview if you're doing a motor vehicle case. And then what are you using for pain scale? Are you using one to 10 or are you using ADLs? Well, I think that you, any other, any additional comments that you make on ADLs are important, but I would use a, a, you know, a zero to 10 Mm -hmm. VAS scale, a verbal analog scale. Okay. Okay. And I would just do it verbally, but that's sufficient as long as you're charting the, you know, appropriate degrees and presence of pain but they're just telling you, I, th- I think maybe that, that's, I, I just kind of conflated a couple. I, I want to clarify. Sure. If, if you're doing, because VAS has two meanings. If you're observing them just doing it, but you're not using an inclinometer, that's called the visual analog scale. And that is you measuring active range of motion, but you're doing just doing it visually. Okay. Mm-hmm. If they're reporting pain, that's called the verbal analog scale, and they can be reporting pain. So you can see how both of those, you're using both of them kind of concurrently. Their range of motion was 50 degrees out of 80 degrees, and they reported a 5 out of 10 pain at the mid-cervical region. You kind of use both of those two systems together, but it gives you something that is objective. And it is measurable because you can repeat it by the practitioner, even if it's just a visual scale. And so that qualifies as kind of like the minimum amount of, of information that you would have on every visit. But then also you should be really focusing and charting about the specific areas that you're treating. And you, you should also be making mention about the time or modalities that you're doing in those areas, whether it be, you know, twina or cupping or any of those kind of, and where you're doing those modalities, that should be covered because you're billing those exactly as a 15, you know, as a, as units of mm-hmm. 15 minutes. And it also, you know, car insurance uh, companies are definitely focused more. I mean, they have not just adjusters, they have acupuncturists and chiropractors and stuff that review chart notes. Mm-hmm. And they also have the Colossus system that just electronically scans chart notes for certain variables that are important to them. But what I was saying is, is that they're going to be looking at these chart notes. And if you're going to be billing three units of acupuncture, 45 minutes, let's say, well, you better have noted in there that at least every 15 minutes you were manipulating the needles and what you were doing. And you know what I mean? Like if you were tonifying or you were reducing or what you were doing, or mm-hmm. if you were just stimulating and how and for what purpose. Okay. That's, yeah, that was, this is like 2.0 all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we can go, like I said, we can go as deep or. or yeah. As well, you have to know the codes. So that just goes back to like, you know what? You need to know the codes, right? You need well, to you know. You should know what codes you're billing. Yep. You need to know the codes and you need to know the amount of time for each, each unit and 
but but let's but let's just let's just say that for a second because you know i mean i don't want that to be daunting like mm-hmm. really there's like a handful of codes only that acupuncturists really need to use mm-hmm. and that will pay them very well and very appropriately mm-hmm. and you know i mean there's a couple of exam codes and really you know the ones you want to use are probably for a motor vehicle accident it's going to be a 99214 you know what i mean it's going to be a little bit more complicated I would hope that the examination, the initial examination for anybody, but anybody that just got in a motor vehicle accident, I hope that it would be a robust examination that included all active and passive ranges of motion, as well as, you know, orthopedic testing. So I would hope that in order to build those codes. But then, you know, after that, we're really talking about billing acupuncture, either Mm -hmm with or without electrostimulation, and we're talking about some physical therapy modalities on top of it, multiple units of that. Right. If you're talking about any of the any of the other stuff. So it's not that many codes, and they're easy to learn. I mean, you know, you can learn. I, I bet you people know <laughs> more zip codes than they know those codes, and you know those zip codes by heart. Yeah, I know. And if you made it through acupuncture school, you should be able to memorize a little bit more. So you're good. (laughs) And you can even have them written down. (laughs) So So what about the billing aspect? How do we go about billing for a motor vehicle accident? Sure. Well, first of all, you you definitely have to have some documentation, meaning that, you know, if somebody comes to you, well, why don't you give me a scenario? How do you want this patient to come to you? Is an established or, or a new patient? Or no, you know what? Because actually, that came up earlier because because I did work for a chiropractor for like 20 plus years ago. And I remember how we had to, if we, we already had an established patient, we had to kind of put the brakes on one thing in it, it theoretically in your head and in your paperwork, right? And what you were yeah. seeing them for and start a whole new, as you start from the very beginning with this. Well, they want it, they want to see it in one chart, mm-hmm. but you know, and, and if they're an established patient, the insurance company is going to request the full chart and you can't not give it to them. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like, so they're going to see it eventually, but what's important to just document is here are these new injuries mm-hmm. that just happened and I evaluated them and this is what I'm treating. You know yes. what I mean? Like, so as long as you're saying that, I think that that's, Yes. And the treatments and the cupping and those things that you're billing are going specifically, right. even though. Yeah. We... But, but I mean, the thing is, is that when you're treating an MVA, you know, it's not the appropriate time to say, oh, and I'm also going to be treating their paramenopause. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's just not the time to throw that in there. Like you could, like, if you want to select a couple of points that have dual use, mm-hmm. great. But yeah. let's stay focused on the treatment that the third party payer is paying for. Exactly. Which is you have to make them recover from this motor vehicle accident before their PIP is expired if you're doing your job right. I so mean, what do you do? Like if you are treating somebody for hot flashes and, they, and they're on yeah. herbs and they're because you still have to document that. Do you just just one line document it like perimenopause hot flashes three times a day, boom, done, you know, like oh, still it, on this formula? No, no it, it, it's, 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 you can do that. But I, what I'm saying is it really goes back to your treatment plan. Yeah, the majority of what you've got going on is is this motor vehicle accident injury. No, it's not that. It's oh, that confused you're going to follow your treatment plan. So you do your exam. You have your findings. And I don't care if your findings are chi and blood stagnation in the local channels. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. But, but 
if you're just talking about a traumatic injury, any type of traumatic injury, if you don't say what I just said, chi and blood stagnation in the affected local channels, like, I don't know how you could not have that. I mean, you just had trauma, right? right? So like, that's the definition of trauma. So, but in any case, that's what you're treating. And you have a treatment plan. I need to treat this person with acupuncture this many times a week for this many weeks and this, and then I'm going to reevaluate them here for this. And we're going to track their pain levels and their, and their active ranges of motion. And we're going to make those pain levels go down to zero through all the ranges of motion. And we're going to restore them to their active, their activities of daily living. That's that case. Concurrently with that, you might have another separate treatment plan that is their herbal regimen for their perimenopause, but you're not billing the insurance company for that herbal consultation and stuff. You're billing them for the acupuncture and the physical modalities that you're doing and the, and the re-exams of that case. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's like they will pay for a re-exam every 31 days, Mm -hmm. not 30 days. (laughs) <laughs> you do it at day 30, it will not be paid for. 31 days, they are happy to pay for it because they want the con- they want to show their continuity of care. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you may or may not, but um, you might be on a long-term, you know, just keep that example going, a long-term herbal regimen for, for perimenopausal symptoms. And, you know, you might not need to do a reval every 31 days because their neck hurts because of that. You right. see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's treating two separate things. Um, in, in my mind, but it might still be in the same chart, but you know, the, the insurance company should know, hey, I'm doing this acupuncture to treat this, even if it's, I need to treat their sleep because their sleep cycle is disturbed because they're waking up due to pain. Mm-hmm. That's very different than they're waking up due to hot flashes, right? So we're differentiating what I'm doing is related to the accident in all charting and in all, all cases. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, you know, I think for other things about like the billing that I was going to say was that, you know, certainly however the patient comes to you, you have to have certain documentation, meaning usually their insurance card. So you know what their policy number is and who you contact and bill it. And you need to, if they have made any statements to the adjuster or have had any communication, it would be beneficial to you to have that. But then, you know, having the insurance adjuster's name uh, and contact information is is important um, because that's where you're going to basically be sending the bill. And then, you know, you asked, how do you bill it? Well, that's first and foremost. You got to have that basic stuff. Hey, okay, we're going to bill this the accident. Here's the accident. Here's the claim number. Here's the adjuster's name. Okay. Now you need to have an examination. If you're not capable or qualified or confident in your ability to do a complete orthopedic exam and document it all, then it's totally reasonable to refer that to either a chiropractor or a medical doctor or an orthopedist to do that examination. Even a physical therapist can oftentimes do it. You should only be working with people that are recognizing your place as in the treatment of this person and is going to immediately and professionally co-treat with you. Exactly. Respect you. Respect your position in the case, Mm -hmm. especially if it's your case that you're saying, 
hey, I also want some additional documentation. Mm-hmm. Because that Western documentation is going to carry uh, a lot of weight is not quite the right word. It's going to, it's just going to be a little bit more credible with the insurance companies because that's the language they speak, you know? Exactly. Yes. So if you don't, yes, totally understand. So it has to be kind of in their language. Otherwise they, they're just like, huh, what? Uh, I don't know. I don't you. So, so, you know, you got to have an exam and then you're going to need to bill it. And in order to bill it, you basically need your chart notes, which should be tight and they should be neat and they should be clear. And you're going to need uh, a HICFA, right? That's the form, the HCFA. And, you know, that's an acronym and it's the, it's the basic insurance medical billing form that all insurance companies will use as do motor vehicle accident insurance. Okay. So you can either fill that form out yourself. You can have a computer program that you have that can fill it out, or you could just have a biller fill it out. But I would say that if you're just treating one or two motor vehicle accidents and it's, and your chart notes are already coming typed because maybe you're using some software or something that does that for you, which would be awesome. You know, you can pretty much do these forms yourself and, you know, you, you fill out one with your information and then that becomes your template. And then you don't have to keep filling that information out. All you have to do is fill out the, what the particular claim is, which code you're billing and then send it in. You can also just pay somebody seven to $10 to do that for you. And I think that's completely reasonable. Totally reasonable. They will find errors and not make mistakes that will not delay your payments. <laughs> it is worth it to not have one get kicked back because, oh, you forgot to check this box or you forgot to send in a copy of that or whatever. Right. Because because this is different than health insurance, right? You don't get a do-over on that stuff or do you? In other words... Oh, you, can, oh, you absolutely can do it over. You oh, can okay. definitely do it over. But, you know, it's I the- certainly don't want to see like your chart notes being lackluster and then you have to redo those and like corrected chart notes or after like addendums to your chart notes, that gets a little bit messy and does not look professional. No, no, no. I understand. Yes. So, so you have to have somebody to bill it. And, you know, I use an insurance biller. I have, you know, me and me and my wife, both, my wife is a chiropractor. You know, we both use an insurance biller that we've, you know, had a relationship with for years. She's fantastic. And, you know, in my opinion, you know, the right insurance biller is worth their weight in gold. So did we cover all that? I think so. I think the only, you know, the, the things that are, are important are that, you know, for billing is that, you know, we're, that, that's what you're really doing is you're, it's a simple form that you send it off, then they review it and start getting you paid. If you haven't been paid after the first, you know, four to six weeks of treating a motor vehicle accident, you should touch base with them and find out why not. Um, also, insurance adjusters, active treatments and modalities that are included in the treatment plan. So things like, I mean, at the appropriate time, you know, I mean, exercises and and return to activities of daily living, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of notes really help them understand where this person is at and understand if they want to keep paying or if they want to cut off care, which is always their prerogative if they feel that the patient is not, you know, basically if they're not getting their money's worth and the patient's not getting benefit, then they don't want to pay. When I worked for the chiropractor when I was much younger, he had he did report of yeah. findings. In other words, when, when the patient came in, he didn't just send the 
the HIGFA and the chart notes, he also wrote up an entire page and a half patient presented to my office, blah, 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 for, and it was all written notes. Is that still yeah. a thing? And then kind of midway well, through the case, they would ask for another re re or every time you did an evaluation, you had to write this I don't sure. know, report of findings. Right. And, and, yeah. It's not quite a report of findings. What, what? Um, it's really like, I'll, I'll go over it. It's, it's really like a more of a, what we call a narrative. Yeah. Of the exam. Right. Right. But so first of all, that, that first, you know, four to five pages that you were talking about at the beginning, that very easily could have been his format for his initial motor vehicle accident exam. And certainly, like I said, you know, you might have some questionnaires that you use during that, but you might also have all of your findings are going to be listed all there and you're going to want to go into some in-depth stuff about, you know, the conditions of the accident and all of the injuries that, that you've identified and how you're going to treat them. So that first one is why you bill a, an evaluation code at first, the very first one that you, you build. That's the 99214 kind of code, which isn't a treatment code. It's an evaluation code. Right. And that's for a moderate complexity um, type of case. Um, you should never be billing a 99215 code. You, that just raises all kinds of the red flags. You know, that, that's if you're like a cardiologist contemplating surgery and you're, <laughs> you know, diagnosing like all the type of risk factors that they might have is, is that kind of code. <laughs> but for, you know, treating patients, like I said, you know, um, halfway through or close to the end of the case, it's often the lawyer that will request the narrative. Oh, maybe that's what happened. Maybe it's my memory. Like, Yeah, the lawyer often requests a narrative because, mm -hmm. and that's if they think they're going to go to trial. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Oftentimes they just want to collect all the chart notes and maybe they just want to have like a, a summary. Mm -hmm. they, they can request a summary of the case. That's kind of maybe a one pager where you're kind of like, hey, they had this and I treated them like this and now they're like this and a little bit more care and they're going to be fine or they're going to have this residual, blah, blah, blah. And right. then- that's my opinion on it. Or if it's a narrative, that's like, okay, you know, we're probably going to go to trial. We're going to have to, we're going to have to duke this one out. I might call you as a witness. Let's really get all of your chart notes and let's get a synopsis of them in four or five pages. And let's present that to the insurance company and show them that we really mean business. And we have a lot of medical evidence to show how injured this person was and that they should receive a larger settlement than the insurance company is offering. Okay. That makes sense to me. I was just, yeah. um, jumbling everything. It was like over 20 years ago, but that's, that's probably what was happening there was that those cases that, cause I had to dictate everything that was back in the olden days when you, <laughs> you listen to the stupid little tape recorder and had to hit stop with your foot a million times and type yes. up all of his notes. So I always had those in my head. So apparently those were mostly cases that were being handled by attorneys. It could, it, it very possibly could. It's just rare that an insurance adjuster would ask you for a narrative. They already have all the notes and they want to, if, if sure. they want to, because realistically, if they want a narrative, since they already have all your notes, they're going to probably then cut off care and send them to an IME, an independent medical examiner <laughs> that basically works yeah. for the insurance company is going to provide them the opinion that they want. Yeah. 
know what I mean? And that's not to say that independent medical examiners are not un- practitioners, but they work for the insurance company and they routinely find that the person is fine or was never injured or was fine, you know, months ago by somehow, you know, discerning it. It's, it's a little bit murky in my opinion. It, it smacks of bias. Okay. So now that we've covered all of that, why don't you cover a little bit about, since you have this wealth of knowledge, is there anything specific or with a particular motor vehicle accidents in ways that we can treat them? What is your, what are your thoughts on treating motor vehicle accidents? Well, I love that, Stacey. No, no pressure with the wealth of knowledge comment. <laughs> um, I like it. There is a couple of things that I'd like to, to point out, especially treating motor vehicle accidents I, that I think are important. And, and one of them, you probably, you might be surprised to hear me say, but it's, it's intention. And I say that not referring to kind of like an esoteric invisible force that we're going to put through the needle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like not that type of intention, like not holding intention as you're needling, that kind of thing. Okay. That's, that's not exactly what I'm talking about, but it's more the intention of the entire treatment plan that you're bringing to this patient. Okay. And what that means, what that means and why I think it's important is that a lot of times in acupuncture, you know, we select points and we do treatments and the patient really doesn't know why we selected those. You know, I mean, they might have some interest and you might explain a little bit to them, but they're not really a practitioner of, of oriental medicine. So they're not really conversant with all of that. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't think I think if you don't explain to them what you're trying to do with this very concrete kind of treatment, I'm trying to get you out of pain. I'm trying to improve your sleep. I'm trying to lower your anxiety uh, when you're driving so that you don't get into another accident. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that you have to explain these things to the patient of what you're actually trying to do so that they can see the progress that they make and that then that reinforces the efficacy of the treatment. Right. So <laughs> you were saying that now I was remembering class. This is a, <laughs> what, did what? What did I say in class? Oh my gosh, you were so funny. The, the thing is like to the practitioners listening right now, unless you've been in Jeff Genesis class, this is like, you, you used to come in and I didn't have to drink coffee in the morning because it felt like you drank six cups. You were so on fire and had so much energy. But I remember I have you. I a lot of passion for this stuff. I, I, <laughs> I, really, I, like the, I like to help people. And I must admit that helping other practitioners help people, I feel like I'm magnifying my own impact. So it feels really good. Yeah, no, and it was great. I loved your classes. They were, they were, but I had to like, I'm a front row student and I actually had to move back a couple rows because you were, <laughs> man, so much energy, which is great because that's exactly what a student wants when it's early in the morning. So anytime you were um, treating one of the other yeah. students as an example, uh-huh. you were always like, you would, you would put the point in and you're like, be sure you tell the patient how amazing that point just was. How ah, yes. how great that was. And that's funny. Well, yeah, because yeah, absolutely. When you're putting in a point and you know that you got to the exact right spot and you can feel it in the needle. Yeah. You know, what I mean you feel the needle reaction, you feel the the 
the the tissue change, the or however however you interpret it, yeah. interpret that. Yeah. Like, and you know you're in exactly the right spot. Oh yeah, I think that you should communicate that with the, to the patient by by just the, giving them a verbal, just saying like, oh that's it. Oh that's perfect. Oh it's <laughs> right there. Oh that was exactly what you needed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I mean yeah like absolutely I want every single effect that I can get out of that needle. If it's placebo, if it's local, if it's adjacent, if it's distal, I don't care. I want maximum effect always. Yeah. I used to love it. It was it was great because you did it with so much energy. It was so, so much fun. And I actually, I you know, I am grateful because I actually do that. I do it all the time. Oh, I'm glad. And, they, and they love it. They're like, well, how did you... How did you know? But you're actually getting them to connect with their body too, and to and to understand the sensation of like, oh, that was a shift in my body, and I felt it too. How did you know? And then I'm like, well, I saw it, yeah. you know, or I felt it in the needle, or I felt this, or whatever. And you know, as practitioners, we've all had these points needled so many times. You know what I mean? Like, so you know what that point feels like. If you're describing, like, if you can call your shot and I mean, don't call it wrong. Obviously. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, if you're going to show off, don't screw up. That's the model. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but if, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to needle a point and you know exactly what it's going to feel like, well, tell them what it's going to feel like just before they feel it. Then they just understand it. And they go, that person knows ex- that person's like inside me feeling yeah. that what they're doing. It's incredible. Yeah. Especially if it's going to jump. I mean, seriously, like it, <laughs> uh, we're talking to new practitioners. If you know, something's going to fasciculate, God, uh, tell your patient because it scares them. If, <laughs> if you don't. Oh, I see. I wouldn't even say that it scares them. I, I would take it totally the <laughs> other direction. I would say, let's, okay, let's say I'm needling gallbladder 21. Yeah. And I'm going to, and I, and I grip, and I grip their, I grip their uh, upper trap mm-hmm. and I'm just about ready to tap that needle in. And I go, okay, I'm going to put this one in it. You know, it might twitch. And if it does, boy, that's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be a great release. Exactly. And you put it in. And then if you get it, then, oh, you just look like the hero. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, because you're like, oh yeah, nailed that one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it doesn't, you say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't need to, you can, you feel that dissipate? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause that's what you're going to go for next, right? You're going to kind of I mean, I hope you're going to explore that needle tip a teeny bit and get exactly there. Maybe you get that fasciculation. Maybe you don't care about it, but it's kind of fun. Well, that's what I was going to say. Why wouldn't you? It's super fun. (laughs) Okay. So did you feel like you got through all of those that you wanted to get through? I do. I think the only thing that I would say, since we're talking specifically about motor vehicle accidents, is like, you know, hit some of the highlights is that, you know, move blood, definitely. Like you, you have to, if you can cup that area as quickly as possible, you know what I mean? Like using something a little bit softer, like a silicone cup might allow you to get in there and get some blood movement, which will reduce pain, improve sleep, mm-hmm. you know, always focus on sleep. And then I also would like to, I, you know, I'd always like to, to say that, you know, start with some distal points, even if it's just like, Hey, we're going to do some, some auricular acupuncture. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I actually, I'd like to talk about that in just one second, some a little bit, some auricular stuff just for a real brief moment. But, you know, I just think that you got to get what you can. If it's just like some light cupping with silicone cups or with some distal points, um, that's great. The other thing is, is that if there's any headaches, you must treat it immediately and aggressively. And if they have headaches, 
they were in a car accident, treat the neck. Okay. You're going to get benefit from treating the neck. What if, and now we are on 2.0, but I'm, I'm good with that. So what if they have had, what if they, well, typically if they have a headache, they might ha- also have a concussion. Yeah. In which case that's a whole nother. I think they have significant concussive syndrome. Mm-hmm. I would get it referred and okay. evaluated. Yeah. And you can still co-treat post-concussive syndrome. Sure. But let's make sure that they don't have a subdermal hematoma. Yeah. And let's make sure that they don't have some other injury that it is, is you know, being masked uh, by some other symptoms. Right. You know? But some post-concussive syndrome symptoms are pretty common and you should definitely make note of them. You know what I mean? Any changes in vision or, you know, difficulty with cognition or especially math. You know, obviously headaches as well is, is, a, is a big thing. But the reason I say treat the neck is because so much of the musculature of the neck, especially on the lateral and anterior neck, will directly give you a headache. Absolutely. And when they're trying to heal, like, you know how hard it is even to think and do everything if you have a headache continuously. Mm-hmm. So you want to get through that. Another thing that I think is fantastic, and I think, you know, let's put it out there to all the sprouts. It's something that I've been doing for a while, but it's uh, some auricular techniques with uh, semi-permanent ear needles. Have you messed around with that at all? I usually, I often use seeds, but yeah, I mean, I love auricular and obviously giving them something that they can walk out the door with is a big deal. Right. Seeds are fantastic. You know what I mean? And, you know, seeds or beads or, you know, whatever, they're definitely fun. Some of these, the ASP needles specifically which is, you know, an acronym and it's in French. So but it's, <laughs> the last two letters are semi-permanente. There you go. So you have these semi-permanent needles that you can, in, yeah. that you can put in and then get some relief for three to five days maybe. And then they fall out. Well, they're on, they're on they, stickers too, aren't they? Like Pionex makes a, a brand that you can, and you can even purchase like the different lengths of the tiny baby needle and you just put them in a tape. That's a tape because they're, they have a barb on them that holds them in. Oh, Wow. They okay. come with a little, little individual plunger. You push it in and it, it's a little barbed needle that leaves just about the head of a pin outside. Looks like a little fashionable piece of ear jewelry. Oh, okay. And, and you, and it'll just stay in for three to five days and then the ear will just naturally push it out. It becomes a non biohazard after that. Great. And one of the things that's so fascinating about it is that, you know, like the, the VA and the, and the, and the military are doing a bunch of what they call battlefield acupuncture. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Really, that's just that's just some TCM points that they that have been put together. With five, you know, what I mean, it's like I do five NP. It's just five other points, but they're extremely effective for pain. Yeah, yeah, we had global a, pain. We had global a, pain. For MBAs are great. Well, maybe you can find that information. I can link it in the in the um, show notes. Sure, because I haven't seen them, so that'd be really cool. I don't know why I haven't seen them, but I haven't seen them, so that's great. If I haven't seen them, probably a lot of new practitioners haven't either. I would say that most people don't know about them, even people that have been in for a long, long time. It's, yeah. It's kind of like, and, and any acupuncturist can just buy them and start using them. Yeah, no, I think and it's great. I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested. So in my experience, I've seen people who come in with motor vehicle accidents or any type of like major body trauma. And I sometimes you can hardly even touch them. And I've seen this as a massage therapist. And as a massage therapist, I remember 
maybe doing a little too much. And then it made them even more sore. And I've also seen this in my acupuncture practice where they come in and they're so antalgic. They're, they're in so much pain that even like the wind makes them hurt. And that's what's great about acupuncture that we can kind of get around things like that. So what do you do with those patients? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. You know, first of all, I, I don't think that you should be afraid to try to do something mm-hmm. because they're in a lot of pain and they're not moving. So you need to restore some movement there for sure. And like I, what we talked about before about moving some blood and, and some different modalities, maybe they could do that. But, you know, first and foremost, we need to recognize that they very well may be like, they might not be able to move their neck right now. If you think if you're the first person to see them and they're super antalgic, meaning they can't move hardly without pain and they haven't had an exam. That's why you need to protect yourself because we need to make sure that they don't have any fractures, Mm -hmm. right? You know, luckily a lot of people will have gone to the emergency room. They will have had an x-ray. They will have said, okay, you don't have a fracture. It's all soft tissue. Go on home. And then they're left just in pain and not knowing what to do. But at least you'll have knowledge that there wasn't a fracture. So, I mean, once you have like kind of enough information so that you feel that you can treat safely, then I think the, the, the first and foremost thing to do is to try to reduce that pain, right? And that's when I try to go to something that I know is going to have lasting effect and that is going to immediately reduce pain. That is why I have uh, started using like these uh, semi-permanent needles and doing some global pain strategies in the ear, just like I can even do it while we're talking. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, I can, I can put some of these points in. I know that their pain is going to start going down. Now, I don't want to do that until I've evaluated them because I need to see and understand exactly what they are in without any, you know, uh, treatment going in. So, you know, but, but so I'm not talking on the first visit. I'm talking about subsequent visits. Even when you're starting to evaluate them, you can make sure that they, you know, have some stuff put points in. In addition to that, like, well, what else can we do? Well, we certainly have some topical things like unin bial patches and stuff like that that can speed some blood movement to the area and can lower pain. And then we also have distal points that can immediately start moving chi and blood and can get some of those areas to, to, to calm down. When I say calm down, I'm also kind of referring to some of the inflammation that's created. You know what I mean? I mean, that's oh, yeah. kind of one of the best things that we have as acupuncturists is that we don't have to just say, Oh, you got injured. Let's put ice on it. You know what I mean? Like we have something (laughs) more that we can do for inflammation, which is let's move blood and get those inflammatory products out of the area. Yeah. You know, let's, let's try to get those muscles so that they have less stagnation and they can move again. Once we restore the movement, we're also going to take pain down enough. Right. So, so it's re- it is really important that the patient may come to you. They may be very injured. They may be in a lot of pain. They may not be able to move well, but there still should be some things that you can do to move a little bit. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of topicals and doing and, and touch. I mean, even if they, because you connect with patient if you touch them. So yeah. even if the, it's just a super light touch, just to get that topical in to their skin, it's still really comforting to them and one of the things i get the most thank yous for is just 
you know, I mean, for your, for your tween all people out there is just doing some hand rolling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like really super gentle, but it's just like moving it. Why? Because well, we got those, we, we, we have those surface channels that have been disturbed. Those are the ones that have really been disturbed mm-hmm. right now. You know I mean? We're not even talking about the deep, Mm-mm. deeper organ channels. We're talking about all the muscular channels, mm-hmm. right? Sinew channel. Like those are what's kind of like disrupted at the moment. And so moving stuff through there can, can be hugely um, helpful. But, you know, and you have to do it to, to the patient tolerance. You know oh, I mean? yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's the thing is that I definitely don't think that you should be doing anything super deep, whether it be needling technique, whether it be pressure, anything on the first visit. Ever. Because you also have to understand that any examination procedures that you do are going to flare them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like, you have to get the information. We understand that orthopedic testing is, by definition, challenging, mm-hmm. meaning that it can cause some additional pain. It's not designed to cause any additional damage. Yeah, and I think that in terms of treating these cases, you know, that every practitioner, whether they're new or they've been in it for years, they should feel confident treating this type of a trauma case. It's just, it just happened. I mean, it's trauma. It's the same trauma to any body part that you studied in isolation, except now we're just mixing a whole bunch of them together because that's the nature of an auto accident. Wow, we covered a lot. I'm so yeah. <laughs> so grateful for your time and for all of your knowledge. And in closing, do you have anything that you want to say to the new practitioners out there? Any great words of advice or I just well, put I think, you on the spot? No, I think one of the most important things is that, you know, any practitioner getting into practice, like you have a massive amount of skills that you have learned that you're ready to help people. And so when a motor vehicle accident, you know, comes to, to your door, be ready to treat them. And you're definitely qualified and capable to do them a great amount of service. And, and so you have that responsibility and you will definitely do that. It's also important that you be aware that you also have to kind of protect the integrity of their case even if you're not treating them later on if their case gets referred or if if they need additional medical interventions but you know you should be documenting and protecting them in a fiduciary manner right so that's what we're kind of doing and, and it all comes down to patient care in addition to that as a business owner there's a separate thing that you learn which is this is how i bill it and when I'm billing it this way, I have to make sure that my language as a practitioner matches the bills that I'm sending out. And so it's really putting on a separate hat as a business owner when you're billing it versus a practitioner when you're providing the treatment mm-hmm. to the patient mm-hmm. in the most compassionate way and with the verbal that we were talking about before. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Good points. Good points. Yeah. Totally appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Perhaps we'll bring you back again since you're just full of all this great knowledge and expertise. 
Hey, it's my pleasure for sure. And uh, love to be back on anytime that, that you have extra. That concludes this episode. So I said in the intro that I would have a gift for you guys or a surprise. I've put together a PDF, a guide on how to take motor vehicle accident cases for you. You can pick that up in the show notes or you can head on over to my website at accusprout.com and go to the page that the Jeff Jenis page and pick up your guide to taking motor vehicle accidents. Here's your call to action. Tell somebody, guys. Tell somebody that this podcast is out there. Let me know how I can help you. If you need to email me for some suggestions or your thoughts, please do so at hello at accusprout.com. Till next time. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.